Good morning, everybody. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for including this moment in your holiday weekend. It's a real privilege to get the chance to worship together. We have uh, two box garden beds in our backyard. They are identical in size. They are filled with exactly the same combination of soil and compost. But this past year, they produced two very different outcomes. Now, I just took this picture last week. There's nothing left in there because it's obviously November. But this bed just did not do very well. That bed thrived. And for some reason, this one, even the flowers just immediately died. In fact, things died and died quickly in that one this year. So we know that before we plant anything next spring, we're going to need to get the soil tested. Like something happened there. We're not exactly sure what. We've been learning from Jesus' parable of the sower that our souls can be compared to a bed of soil. And that when the seed of God's Word lands on the soil of our soul, it may or may not grow and bear fruit. And the difference will be the condition of our soil. Our soul. So as we wrap up this series, let's let Jesus again tell us this parable And here we'll learn about the fourth and final soil. Listen, Jesus said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now the rest of the parable paints this picture of seed landing on soil in four different conditions. We've already heard what he had to say about the first three soils in these last three Sundays. And we'll review them all in just a minute. He describes the fourth and final soil like this still other seed fell on good soil it came up grew and produced a crop some multiplying 30 some 60 some a hundred times more than was sown when he said this he called out whoever has ears let them hear in other words this is a teaching worth our attention because jesus is telling a story about us Us today, us every day, every human soul that encounters the seed of God's Word can be found in this story. And the consequences of understanding or not understanding what Jesus is saying here, those consequences are not just religious. They're not just moral. They're not just about whether or not you get some nice Bible knowledge. No, the stakes of whether or not we're really understanding what Jesus is teaching here have to do with whether or not we thrive as human beings in our relationships, in our character, in our purpose, in our souls, in our connection with our Creator. This good Word of God is so important and so important to us. I want to pick up where Zach left off earlier when it comes to the cards that you found on your seats this morning. We'll do more with this Uh, before we wrap up today, but I just want to frame what we're doing here in the context of what we've been learning and talking about in this parable. God's Word is so important to us that we long for and look for opportunities to see that Word sown into the souls of those that we know, care about, who are a part of our lives. So we're going to join God in the spreading of His Word and sowing some seeds by doing something super simple 
but also very powerful, and that is inviting someone to church. So I would encourage you, even during the boring parts of my sermon this morning, that is a joke, right? Because there are no boring parts. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, feel free to begin to pray, be praying about who, who might I write a little note to? And we've got plenty of these, certainly not just one per person. You can pick one up from other chairs around you, or there's a whole stack at that table there as you head out this morning. But think, what neighbor, what coworker, what family member might I uh, be able to invite to church this December? Uh, we know a lot of people will come to church or would think about coming to church if only someone they knew and trusted extended them a personal invitation. Come sit with me. Come to church with me. I'll meet you at church. That is music to the ears of a soul that's hungry for some meaning and truth in life. And something as simple as a little postcard can really make a difference because it's not just a postcard, right? It's an invitation from someone who cares about them. So keep that on your uh, kind of in front of you for the rest of the morning and be praying about that because we are involved in sowing the seed of God's word. That's where we also get to find ourselves in this parable. But back to what Jesus is saying. Jesus begins to now explain the parable and what the soils mean. Listen then, he says, to what the parable of the sower means. He says the seed is the word of God. But now it's here in this last soil that we see just how powerful this seed is when it is given the room and the chance to fully grow. Man, this whole month has been kind of a drag, right? We keep watching the seed land and then not produce any fruit for all of these various reasons that we've been unpacking all month. But here we get to finally see the seed do what the seed is meant to do because it's been given the chance to grow. Jesus goes on to explain it this way. The seed on the good soil stands for those with a good and honest heart who hear the word, accept and retain it, and by persevering produce a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now we're going to spend the most, most of the rest of our time right within these words here. Jesus is now describing people with a, what he calls a good and honest heart. The words here in the original language are translated various ways in various translations of the Bible. Virtuous, upright, receptive, noble. But honest and good are the two most common English words that are used to translate those original words that Jesus used. Good and honest. But as we know, this, is, this does not always happen, as we've learned from those previous three soils. Peter Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, a book that the staff's reading together right now, he makes this observation, and it very much resonates with what we've been hearing Jesus say. Powerful forces around and inside us work to smother the process of nurturing the seeds planted in each of us. This is just true. This is human life. Life as a human being means that the goodness of God's Word needs room to grow and that there are plenty of forces around us and inside us that want to smother the potential of that good truth in us. Most of the parable has been making this very, this very fact very plain to us. So this is the perfect time to review briefly the first three 
soils. First, there we learned about the soil along the path. The soil along the path has no chance to grow at all because it is trampled under the busied, hurried traffic of this world and of, of our own lives. It is plucked up by so many birds, Jesus says, so many conflicting messages and philosophies and noise. This is the soil along the path. Barely lands before it's plucked up or trampled underfoot. Now, the rocks in the soil, the rocky soil of our souls, is anything that keeps us shallow and rootless. The seed lands, but doesn't have any chance to really take, get any deep root because the soil is thin. Hard places form in our hearts and in our lives. Sometimes it's traumas we've endured, we've toughened up in order to survive. Sometimes we're hardened by the good truth of God because we just simply believed so many lies. Or sometimes the soil of my soul is filled and laden with big, heavy stones of my own placing. The priorities and the pursuits that I feel are important, but they take up a lot of room in my soul. God's Word doesn't have any real chance to take root. I keep Jesus and church and Scripture and faith, I keep all that kind of at a distance and just on the surface of my life. And then there are the thorns we talked about last week. The gospel grows in our hearts among the weeds of wealth and career and hobbies and family and eventually gets choked out by neglect. The seeds growing among the thorns fail to mature, we read last week. That's important. It fails to mature because distractions crowd out Jesus. In my own experience, I would say that most of us who come to church on a semi-regular basis, most of us end up in this category here. The gospel is there, it's trying to grow, but we might not always be doing the best job of cutting back and rooting out the thorny weeds of our lives. Jesus called them the worries, riches, and pleasures of life. A little bit of neglect, a little bit of not paying attention, and the gospel's trying to grow but it's choked out by all the other stuff that we still have growing in our lives. When we sense then, thinking about these three soils, when we sense that we aren't thriving or when something is stunting us, and we've all been there, something holding us back, Jesus is showing us where to look in our souls, showing us what to pray about, showing us how to seek counsel. This is our groundwork the work we do in the soil of our soul to give God's, room, God's Word room to grow. Instead, we cultivate a receptive heart. Instead of letting those rocks, those weeds, those birds be a part of us, when weeds pop up, we pull them. When rocks rise to the surface, we remove them. When birds begin to roost, we shoo them away, right? Hey, I don't need all that noise. I don't need all that in my life. We begin to move ourselves away from the places where all those birds like to flock and just pick away at God's Word in our hearts. Christians for centuries have observed and written about the fact that when we come alive in Christ, we are leaving behind an old self. And we're growing into a new self, a true self. 
So this dichotomy, this, this true self and then this false and old self, we're learning how to deal with that. I'm, re- I'm reading a book right now that talks about, uses the words instead, our authentic self, the self that we were always intended to be, the one that God designed and made, but has before Christ was just kind of muted and stunted, right? There might have been some hint of that full, authentic self. But without Christ, it wasn't alive in us. It wasn't who we weren't fully blooming and being fruitful in our lives. We couldn't without the Holy Spirit in us. And then there's the adaptive self, the self that we've kind of constructed to navigate life in this world. It's full of, it's us, but it's full of dysfunction and bad habits and ways of coping. And it's a lot of what we need to leave behind as we mature in Christ. But we're dealing with both of these selves, the authentic self, the true new self, the adapted old false self. And so the birds, the rocks, the thorns, this is us operating out of our old selves. And Jesus is calling us away from that becoming the good soil, someone with, as he put it, a good and honest heart. See, you were designed to live fully and deeply in God's Word, to receive it deeply. This is your true self. That book I mentioned is by Marilyn Vansell. It's called Self to Lose, Self to Find. And she makes this observation. This is our human dilemma. We live with the conundrum of our two selves, our worst and best versions. In order to grow into wholeness and fruitfulness, which is exactly what Jesus is describing in the fourth soil, in order to grow into wholeness and fruitfulness with God, we must release one to allow the other to flourish. I can't come up with a better description of what Jesus is calling us to do in this parable, but to release the the previous types of soil, the previous patterns in our lives to allow this one to flourish. Distinguishing between the two, she says, takes prayerful attention and careful discernment. This is our groundwork, that discernment, that attention. Groundwork means going beneath the surface, not staying only on the surface. We talk a lot about here, uh, a lot here about um, not preaching a gospel of behavior management, right? The, or or uh, religious rule-keeping. The idea that church and Jesus and faith and Scripture and all that stuff is really about here's, here's all the do's and here's all the do-nots. Just stick with that and uh, you'll be fine. But instead, it's about relationship, right? It's about discovering how deeply loved we are, then beginning to live out of that love and letting the Holy Spirit begin to not just modify our behavior, but actually change our desires. That's what actually can happen in a good and honest heart. It's so much about releasing, as we just read in that quote. It's about removing, it's about letting go, letting God's gifts have room to grow. See, this is the open secret of the whole thing. Most of the groundwork is God's to do. We've only to let Him. We, a good and honest heart is not someone who's manufactured enough self-righteousness to somehow pass the test. A good and honest heart is someone who's simply open and receptive to all that God has to give. He does all the heavy lifting, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. When it comes to excavating the rocks in our souls, He's got all the power necessary to do that. We've only to stop clinging, stop gravitating 
toward the path. Stop bringing more rocks or stubbornly refusing to see them move if they're there. It's we who need to stop feeding those weeds that are growing in our lives. So in other words, this is not complicated in a way. It's really just about getting stuff out of the way and letting God help us in that. Giving God's seed room to grow because it is powerful. That takes us to the next phrase that we see here that Jesus uses. These people with a good and honest heart, he describes them as people who do what? Hear the word, accept, and retain it. So these are people who keep God's word in front of them. As you're doing right now, whether you're here in the room or we're together online, you are keeping God's word in front of you. You've chosen to take some time to receive again God's good word. I think of the ancient psalmist who at one point wrote, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's like planting a seed. I've put that word in me. It's forming me into the kind of person that I want to be and that, Lord, I know you want me to be. I don't think any passage captures this quite as well as James chapter 1. says this, and starting in verse 21, put out of your life every evil thing and every kind of wrong. Sounds a lot like thorns, rocks, and birds along the path. Put all of those out. Leave those behind. Then, in gentleness, accept God's teaching that is planted in your hearts, which can save you. It's powerful. Do what God's teaching says. When you only listen and do nothing, you are fooling yourselves. What we're seeing here is a virtuous, fertile cycle here. As we allow God's Word to do its work, we, and we actually begin to live out whatever it is we're learning. That's really a, a summary of the whole Christian life, at least from my experience. Learn a little something, begin to apply it to your life. Learn a little more, begin to apply that to your life. Get it right sometimes, not all, not all the time. Ask for forgiveness, keep going, right? Just keep learning, keep living keep learning how to live. It's a virtuous, fertile cycle that grows good things in us. And so the question we can ask ourselves is, am I living according to this truth that that God's Word is planting in me? Am I being intentional about that? Not perfect about it, but am I being wholehearted about it? So much of our life together as a local church family is about taking in God's Word, whether it's here on Sunday morning or in our small groups. It's about gathering, receiving God's Word again. What did he say a good and honest heart does? Listen, hear, accept, retain retain God's Word. And helping each other then apply it to our lives. This is precious. You don't have to overthink this. What What is a local church? Well, we're a worshiping community. We're a missional community. Wants to make a difference in the world. The heartbeat at the core of that is prayerfully attending to God's Word in front of us, right? Keeping it open and keeping ourselves open to it. That's so much of our precious life together. We are learning how life works. Like any group, learning together about something important or interesting to them. This is not a foreign concept. People gather all the time to learn together about something that's interesting or useful to them. We happen to have discovered the fact that God's Word is the manual for how to live life in a wise and healthy whole way. We want to be people who hear the Word, accept, and retain it. Jesus says that when we do so, by persevering, we will produce a crop. 
Now it's interesting to me, produce a crop is repeated in not, it's, it's said in the parable and it's said in the explanation of the parable. In other words, the analogy actually becomes literal. We really do produce a crop. Let me explain it like this. In the physical, in the story of the parable, we have seed. And Jesus says the seed is the Word of God. Okay, I'm tracking. Jesus says that the soil, well, that's my heart, my soul, my character, my mind, my interior life. Okay, I'm still tracking. But here, Jesus says, but the fruit that the seed is meant to bear is, spiritually speaking, in my life, it's, uh, it's fruit too. That there's not a better word for it than fruit or crop. That there is something happening, or something that can happen, spiritually, and still can best be described as producing a crop. He doesn't change the language when he explains the parable. And then you'll see this throughout the scriptures. The idea of fruitfulness, the idea of harvest, the idea of producing a crop. That's still the Bible's preferred uh, way of describing what you and I look like when we are thriving spiritually. We are producing a crop. Things are multiplying in and through us. And Jesus says this happens by persevering, who by persevering produce a crop. What does that mean? I have to think that at the very least it means that every day I choose to stay off the beaten path. Every day I choose to remove the rocks and try not to bring any new ones in. Right, The things that keep me shallow. Persevering means every day I choose to tend to the garden bed of my heart to pull the thorny weeds that choke off the vitality of life in God, earth, earthly life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Every day we just go back to the garden and begin to pay attention to the soil of our souls. Why is that important? Because that seed, remember, is powerful. The seed at this point in the parable is doing what it is intended to do. Be fruitful. To change the landscape of the place. And why is it able to do this? Because the soil that it's landed on has made room for it. It's been tended and prepared. It's ready to receive. And now, amazing things are ready to happen. We shouldn't take lightly the fact that Jesus says this seed produces 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. That would have, if you were in agriculture, if agriculture was more like the, the language that you understood, that would have gotten your attention. That's what you call a bumper crop, right? That's a good, good thing. We might hear someone say that there are seeds of greatness planted in you, and we might think that sounds a little cliche. But Jesus says that's exactly the case when we hear and receive God's Word. Something great and powerful is being planted in you and you can fully expect to see amazing things happen because of it in your life. The seed will do what it is intended to do and that is multiply, be fruitful, change the landscape. Change me. Change you. Lois Torberg, in her book, Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus, this is a book the elders and the staff read a few years ago, she makes this observation about this parable. As tough as this parable is to hear, to hear, it makes a potent promise. God is like a farmer who sows a field, knowing that much of this land is poor, but the seed he is sowing is supercharged. 
when Christ's kingdom takes hold of the few who will hear and obey, what an amazing impact it will have. A huge hundredfold yield, the very limits of ancient productivity. Through an obedient disciple, God can truly do miraculous things to expand his kingdom far beyond human imagination. Maybe we don't think or talk about it enough, but the things that God wants to do through you. I don't mean things that will make headlines or, or somehow make you famous. I'm talking about the fact that implanted in you is a holy, powerful, good word of God that you can in turn share with someone else and watch a human life be changed. And we all also can tend to underestimate this, but what happens when a human life is changed? What happens to the kids of that person or the grandkids of that person? What new branch of the family tree will now be healthier and more whole because one person began to leave behind the birds and the rocks and the weeds of their life and began to thrive as a human being? What difference can all of that make? The hundredfold yield of one good seed is an amazing thing to watch happen. I've been repeating throughout this series that our thriving as human beings is exactly what discipleship to Jesus brings. We should see those things as synonymous. Jesus put it like this in John 15, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's a glorious, amazing thing when we become the people, the fruitful, full of, full of harvest, full, abounding in, with a, a bumper crop people that God designed us to be. So in the end, there's only one main question that the story forces us to ask. Which soil am I? If you're honest, if I'm honest, chances are good. I see all four in me at any given moment. They point out the groundwork that I need to do. Is the seed of God's word bouncing off the hardened pathway? Is it withering in the rocks? Is it choked by all those weeds? Or is it being received? Doing our groundwork means keeping our hearts receptive to God's good words. Each of us is like one or more of those soils. And of course, we have the ability, the ultimately, ultimately the choice, which one will we be? So which one are you today? Which one am I on any, on any given day? And when I see that I'm less than that good soil, how can I become so? Those are good questions. The answers can be prayerfully discovered. That's our groundwork. So I pray we'll do the gardening, the tending of our hearts that we each need to do. No one can do it for us, but God will assist us when we let him. So I would invite you now to take the bread and cup in your hand as we consider what we've been hearing Jesus say to us. The idea that God's good word is going out even right now and landing on our souls, we want to, and every seven days we stop. And what we, one of the things we're essentially saying when we take the bread and the cup is I'm ready to receive, right? Jesus says a good and honest heart is one that's ready to receive, prepared and ready to receive God's word. We literally receive the bread and the cup, and in doing so, we are carving out a space, cutting back some weeds, finding some soft, fertile soil in our hearts and saying, plant it right here. 
I'm ready to receive your goodness, Lord. So as we take the bread together, let's remember his body given for us because he loves us so very much. It is a mistake for me or for you or for anyone to ever conclude, I'm the good soil. My work here is done, right? And stop tending to the garden of our heart. So as we take the cup, let's also remember that what is in us must be fed. It must be fertilized. It must be nurtured. Carving out this moment to say thank you to Jesus for what he's done for us also accomplishes that very thing. So Lord, nourish us by the blood that you've shed for us and the love and the grace that it represents. Let's take and drink together. Now, before I pray, I want to go back to these cards for just a moment. Hopefully, you've had a chance to begin to think about who, who, I, who might I invite to December here at Outlook, to Christmas time, to some sermons and some services that might help people begin to see their role in the story that is Jesus. That's our goal in this series. And that they too are a character. Every one of us can be a character of the Christmas story and we can find ourselves in it. So as you take these, maybe even one, maybe more, um, I want to remind you of a passage of Scripture that just, again, frames what we're doing here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul makes this observation. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. We get to participate in that, um, that process. It's been happening now for 20 centuries. God's good word getting planted in hearts, others watering that word, perhaps by an invitation to fellowship, an invitation to church. God, always the one making things grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. God may have brought to your mind someone who would be a good recipient for this card. You may have thought, ah, no, maybe not. I don't know, I don't know if I see that. Don't know if I could do that. Don't know if they would pay any attention. Might laugh at me. Don't underestimate the power of that seed to change a life, to get planted. Because, man, I'm telling you, God is good at making things grow. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word this morning. It's good, it's nourishing, it's what we need. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us all to create some space in our hearts for it to be deeply planted, that it would have the chance to put down roots as we put down roots together, that it would have the chance to grow and be nourished as we keep your good word in front of us. And God, that it would bear a bumper crop full of fruitfulness, full of love, joy, and peace, full of patience, kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. Lord, let all of that fruit grow in us. We can't do this on our own. We're not on our own. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.